And if you go back to your sixth grade self, you probably would have known most of those, right? If you go back to your middle school self, if you want to go back to the awkward years, you would probably have known all, if not most, of those. And the reason we don't know them now is there's something that happened from sixth grade to now. We got older. <laughs> A lot of time has, has happened in between sixth grade and now. And, and we knew it in the sixth grade because we were quizzed on it. We were tested on it. We were in a classroom where we were studying those and we were talking about it. We had homework. It was in our face constantly for those short years. But unless you have a profession that needed to know any of those things, we forget as we get older. It doesn't mean we didn't pay attention. It doesn't mean we didn't know at some point. It just means we don't know now. It's that old phrase, you either use it or lose it. It's the exact same thing. And it happens in our spiritual life as well. Maybe I grew up in church, and so I, I know some of these spiritual things. I know how to, how to pray. I know how to walk with God. But if we're not careful, just because we did know it doesn't mean we still do, or it doesn't mean we still know how to. We don't know how to always walk that through. Well, I grew up going to church, and I was in Sunday school, and, and, and in my family, we did that. Great. You knew it. You did it. But time can pass where we begin to lose it. We begin to forget about it, or maybe we just begin to neglect it. doesn't mean we're not believers. It just means we're not really sure how to act out our beliefs as well. So what I want us to do, and, and we do this, if you haven't caught on, if you've been with us for several years now, every May we come back to prayer. It is one of the foundational pieces of how we walk out our faith and how we connect and interact with God. It's how we talk and listen back and forth. It's a two-way street. It's a conversation, a dialogue between us and God and then back to us. So it's not one of those, well, oh, I know how to pray. Well, sure, but are we still doing it? We need to constantly keep things like prayer in front of us so that we don't begin to lose it, neglect it, or put it off to the side. So what I want us to do is we're going to look at a prayer out of Nehemiah. In fact, two prayers that Nehemiah prays. If you've got your Bible, head over to Nehemiah. But as you're doing that, I want to give us some context for this month of prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen for you. It says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Do you see some of the repetition in there? All kinds, on all occasions, all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests, and for all of God's people. In other words, pray about everything, anything and everything, all the time, throughout our days, throughout our years, and for all people. All kinds of occasions, all kinds of prayers, and all kinds of requests. I mentioned that my, uh, I grew up in a home of educators. My dad, adjunct out of college. My mom grew up, or I grew up with her, always teaching middle school language arts. So yes, I always got corrected on my English and grammar. Still, she'll watch a sermon and be like, um, that was me, not I. I'm like, Ugh. Anyway, don't watch this one, mom. Anyway, but one of the things that I've asked her is, what, what do you pray? I mean, she's very spiritual, has a great relationship with God, and uses her position as a teacher to, to help spiritually as well as uh, the minds of these young people. And, and one, of the one time she answered, she said, here's the prayer that I pray constantly as a teacher. She says, I pray that God would use me to give students opportunities to thrive. I love that. That stuck with me. I pray that God would give me opportunities to help students thrive. Opportunities. And so what we're going to focus on, what we're going to see out of Nehemiah are these prayers of opportunity. 
how to pray for opportunities for those around us, how to pray that God would use us to help other people, how God would use us in these different opportunities, the opportunities that he's called us for and obviously to. So if you've got your Bibles, head over to Nehemiah chapter one, and uh, we're gonna see two prayers of Nehemiah that all revolve around this theme of praying for opportunities, the opportunities we should be praying for, the opportunities to be aware of even. But before we get in there, you gotta understand a little bit of the context. So no, Nehemiah was currently a slave. He was working for, he was serving the Persian king. And if you know the story, he was a cup bearer, which means he took the wine, he would drink it first to make sure that it wasn't poison, and then he would hand it to the king. Now, Nehemiah was a Jew. He was part of the people of Israel, but the Persian army had come through, swept through the entire Middle East region, the Mediterranean area, and now they are the ruling force. So Jerusalem, where the Israel, where Israelites were basically based out of their hometown, totally in ruins. And what happened is those Israelites, when the Persian army came in, many were taken into slavery, like Nehemiah. Some were taken or ran away, and they are now in exile, meaning they're just scattered amongst all over the places, hiding away from the Persian Empire. Then what we have now, what we're starting to see in this time frame, is a small portion of the Jews, the Israelites, were starting to make their way back to Jerusalem. We would call them the remnant. They're not in slavery. They're no longer in exile. They're making their way back home. And as this remnant group made their way back to the city of Jerusalem, they, of course, saw what their city looked like totally in ruins. Walls were torn down, everything burned and broken. And so word was now getting out as people now saw what their city looked like. Word was getting out. And Nehemiah just got word of what Jerusalem looked like. He just got word from some people saying, man, the walls are torn down. Everything's burned up. Everything is destroyed. And that's where we're going to pick it up, how he responds to hearing of this reality. Chapter one, verse four out of Nehemiah. When I heard these things, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Something broke his heart. He saw his hometown, his city, his people. And he saw it all broken down, and of course it broke his heart. So he responded like many of us would. We cry, we weep, we're sad, we're hurting says he fasted, he prayed, and he mourned for some time. And then he goes into a prayer. Verse 5 begins his prayer. And it's a pretty lengthy prayer, and it's almost poetic. But we're going to point out just a few things as we go through this prayer. See if you can pick up on kind of the themes and the structure of his prayer. Verse 5, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. His commandments, verse six, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. In other words, praying constantly day in and day out. Then he says this, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my ancestral family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses, but, he kind of turns the corner here, verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are, if are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Like I said, pretty lengthy, kind of poetic prayer here. But pick up the different themes as he goes through, the structure of this prayer. He starts out and just praises God. 
God, you're great, you're awesome, you're mighty, how wonderful you are. Here's how you love us, you're full of grace. He, he just talks about God, recognizes who God is. And then he changes it, and what does he do next? He says, I, what was that C word, do you remember? I confess. Yes, the church word there for confess, basically saying, here's who you are, God, but then the reality of who we are. And he takes ownership, and not just for himself, but his entire people. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, all of us, even our ancestors, he says. I confess that we have not always followed you. In fact, we've gone against you. We've acted, he says, in a wicked way. So he recognizes and praises God for who he is. He recognizes and confesses who they are. Sinful, we turned away, we've gone against you, we've done things wrong. But then in verse 8, he changes it, and this is interesting, he actually quotes God. He says, remember what you told to Moses? Remember you said that, that if we repented, if we came back to you, then you would gather us back together. He quotes God. God, remember that promise you made? Well, now we're here asking for it. See, up until this point, Nehemiah has not asked for anything new, has he? No. He's praised God. He's confessed where they've gone wrong. And he just said, I'm reminding you of your own promise. See, so often our prayer life can consist of just what we need and what we want, the new things that we don't have, the gaps that we experience. And there are not, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, again, all things, all kinds of requests, all kinds of occasions, that's what Ephesians told us. But don't miss the opportunity to go back and say, God, remember what you've already said? Make that real in my life. Now we have to know scripture, know his promises to be able to ask for those promises. So dig into the scriptures, know the promises that he's already given us, and we have the opportunity to pray those promises into reality. God, remember when you said this? Make this real in my life. Remember when you promised this? God, make that evident in my life. Up to this point, Nehemiah has not asked for anything new. He's praised God, he's confessed, and he's reminding God, quoting God on a promise he's already given. But he is going to ask for something. It's the very last verse the very last thing that he says is one thing to ask for. Verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And here's what he's going to ask. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Then he ends with just the statement, I was the cupbearer to the king. The one thing that he asked for, the one new thing that he's asking for is success today by granting favor with this man. The, this man is the king of Persia, the king that he serves and is a slave to. That's all that he's asking. He's saying, my heart breaks because of what has happened, and I want that fixed, but he says, give me success. And what was the time frame? When did he want this to happen? Today. He wants it to happen today. So give me success today. Give me success by granting me favor with this man, with the king. Give me favor as I serve this man. See, what's interesting is it's a prayer of opportunity. It's not a prayer to just fix it. I mean, and this is a big problem. The problem that the walls, the city of Jerusalem are totally torn down and broken down, that is a big problem. So this is a big prayer to want it fixed, and that's a good thing. Pray big. Pray huge. But what tends to happen is we see big problems in our life, and we pray big prayers that only God can answer, but we don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> big problems, big prayers, but really simple, short, sweet answers. We say, God, there's, there's a city that's totally broken down, and our tendency, Nehemiah's tendency would have been, so just fix it, 
right? And what happens is we remove ourselves from the prayer. We remove ourselves as part of the solution. It's just like this. I have a, how many pieces is this puzzle? Can you see? 2,000. There's a lot of pieces in here. If any of you would like to help me with it, that's what it's supposed to look like when we're all done. Yeah, that'll take a while. But what tends to happen is our life is, is full of just what this puzzle is. It's full of pieces. Just like the walls of Jerusalem were totally broken down and everything was scattered and, and all in pieces, our lives feel like this a lot of the time. Where, my goodness, it's just nothing is working and everything's not working together. It's just scattered. It's just one big mess. Nothing's working the way it's supposed to be working. Our finances are out of whack. The job situation isn't working. Things are a mess at home. Nothing in my life is working. And so we see all those pieces scattered and just totally disorganized and in disarray. And we just think, this is a big problem. And this is a problem that only God can fix. Jesus Will you put all these pieces back together by tomorrow morning? In Jesus' name, amen. What do you mean it's still a mess? And we get all upset, and why aren't my prayers working? And okay, maybe I've got to be more reverent in my prayers. Okay, Lord God of all heaven, all creation bows before you. My life is in shambles. God, fix it. In Jesus' name, amen. And we look down, and guess what? It's not put back together. And we can't figure out why. Why is it not put back together? God, this is a big problem. It's a big mess. It's only you. Only you can do it. I'm having faith. I'm relying on you. I believe that you can. Can he? Most certainly. Will he? I don't see that in scripture very often. See, there's two ways to get this puzzle put back together. One is to pray that God would miraculously and supernaturally piece it all together by tomorrow morning. The other way is to pray that God would give you the endurance to get through it. God, would you give me the strength and the patience, the amount of patience I'm going to need for this is unbelievable. <laughs> would you give me the patience to walk through this? God, give me the wisdom, the insight, and maybe the discernment to, to know where to start. God, would you put some people in my life that, that have done this before? Will you put some people in my life that would be willing to help me, that they would come alongside me, that they would encourage me, they would work with me? Well, that's a different prayer, isn't it? It's a much different prayer. So often our prayers are treating God like a handyman. God, I have a problem. It's a big problem. I need it fixed, and here's my time frame. Let me know when you're done. I'll come back home then. <laughs> Call me when it's finished. God's like, no, 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 no. You're missing it. I want to use you in the midst of it. And that's what we see with Nehemiah. It's a big problem. It's a big prayer. But Nehemiah does not remove himself from the equation. He says, God, it's a big problem and you're going to have to step in here somewhere, but give me an opportunity to be part of the solution. Let me be part of the answer. So I don't know what, how you relate to the puzzle all over the floor, all the 2,000 pieces my volunteers are going to have to clean up after this. But are you willing to say, God, how am I supposed to fit into it? How, how do you want to use me and work with me and teach me and, and develop me and grow me in the midst of putting this back together? He doesn't leave you to do it on your own, but he is wanting you to do it with him. He's not going to come in and just fix our mess. He saved us, something only he can do. And as we grow, that's called discipleship, we get to work with him. He gets to work in us and through us and develop us in who he wants us to be. And that happens in moments like this. So here we have a big problem, we have a very big prayer, and we have Nehemiah saying, how do I help? 
Give me an opportunity. Remember his prayer? Grant me success today by giving me favor with this man. Give me an opportunity to go and rebuild those walls. God, I'm not asking you to do it on your own. I'm not asking you to just supernaturally fix it. I'm asking for me to be part of it. So help me figure out how to be part of it. And just maybe, maybe the prayers that you're praying, some of these big problem prayers, maybe you are the answer God is sending. Maybe we are part of fixing it. Maybe we're part of the solution. It's just not on our timetable. So here's how God answers this. And you need to know that as God answers this, nowhere in the text do we see, and then God answered his prayer. We don't see that. In fact, here's the very next thing. Chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king, because that's his job as a cupbearer. It says, I took the wine to the king. I had, not been, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? By the way, the toddler version of that is, what's the meaning of your face? That's really what the king is asking. That's how my boys would have asked that. What's, Dad, what's the meaning of your face? Anger and rage right now, Cole. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, of course. <laughs> what does your fa- why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And then the very next line, I was very much afraid. You need to know the reason Nehemiah was so afraid is because legally, It was against the law for him to approach the king. Even as a cupbearer, he had one job, to present the king with the wine and then to walk away. To engage in conversation could cost him his life. To respond in a way that the king didn't like could cost him his life. To give an answer that the king didn't want to talk about, or a conversation the king didn't want to talk about, could cost him his life. So truly, this is a life or death, the way that this was set up. So of course, he was very much afraid. But what's interesting here is also the time frame. In the very beginning, it says, in the month of Nisan, Right? You need to know that it, we skipped in the first part, but in chapter one, it's, it, this whole thing started in the month of Kislev. There's a four-month gap between Kislev and Nisan. You have basically the winter months of November, December, all the way to what we're reading now is about that April, March-ish, somewhere in there. So you've got winter and then spring. So about four months have passed from when he said, give me success, give me favor in the presence of this man. Give me an opportunity to go and rebuild the walls. Four months, months and months and months and months has passed, and all of a sudden, this might be an opportunity. Now, we don't know for a fact that it's an opportunity. Nowhere in here does, does the Lord speak to Nehemiah's heart and says, this is the moment you've been praying and waiting for, but maybe this is it. And of course, fear is a big part of that. Fear is a huge part of that, but waiting is also a big part of that. He prayed for an opportunity, and he's had to wait and wait and wait and wait for this opportunity. Anybody ever been surfing before? I know Georgians are big in surfing. Yeah, I didn't think so. So if you've ever spent time surfing or learned to surf or at least, you know, watch part of it, Becky and I, when we lived in California, had the opportunity to learn how to, well, we, we tried to learn how to surf as best as we possibly could. But here's what you need to know about surfing. As you are out in the water, it is a lot of, what do you think? Waiting. Yes, <laughs> you have a lot of waiting. You're just sitting out in the water waiting for a wave. So there's two ways that you can try to get a wave. You can either make your own waves or you can wait for a wave. Now, it would be ridiculous to look at somebody out in the water just, I'm trying to make as many waves as I can because I can't wait to surf. That would be ridiculous. You would never see that, right? We don't make our own waves, but you'll see all these surfers out there waiting for a wave. Now, unless you're an expert, which I'm most certainly not, you don't always see the wave until it's right there. So you're on your board, you're, you're, you're ready, but you're not going anywhere. 
and you're waiting for that wave, and, and sometimes you miss them. You're like, oh, that would have been a good one. I didn't know that was it. But you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and that's where Nehemiah's at. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and where's this opportunity? Man, things are still in a mess. My heart is still broken. I want to do something to, to help. I want to be part of the solution. God, where's this opportunity? Waiting, 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 and then he sees this wave start to come in. And the king asks one question. What's wrong with you? What's going on? He says, I was very much afraid. Well, yeah, this is, this is the moment of fear. Because <laughs> as this wave is coming in, you have a choice to make and you have a split second to choose whether you're going to ride this wave in or you're going to let it pass. So Nehemiah, in this split second, has to decide, is this the opportunity? Am I going to go for it or not? And as we're going to see, he does. As soon as that comes in, and, and even though he's afraid, as the king says, what's wrong with you? What, what is the meaning of your face? Why are you so sad? He says, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it. And he gets up, and he's going to see that he's going to be able to ride this opportunity, and that's what we're going to pick up. Look at what he does next. It says, I was very much afraid, verse 3, but I answered, but I said to the king and answered, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned and destroyed by fire? Now, you need to understand really what Nehemiah is saying here. Remember which army and empire came in and destroyed everything? The Persians. Who is he serving under? The king of Persia. So in other words, you know what you did to my city? That made me real sad. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. But then he goes on. The king said to me, so the king is engaging in a conversation. Verse 4, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Oh, here's that moment. Okay, he asked me what's wrong, and I told him. Now he's asking what I want. Maybe this is it. Do I tell him what I really want? Do I, do I tell him what I've been praying and hoping? Do I pray him about the opportunity that I've been waiting for? Here's what he answered. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor. That's what he prayed for, right? Four months ago. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. The moment he stood up. What is it that you want? I'll tell you, king. As long as I've found favor with you, would you allow me to go and rebuild the walls that you tore down? And he didn't just ask if he could go. He said, would you send me? Do you give me not just permission, but would you give me your blessing to go? It's that moment when he stopped waiting and he said, okay, let's do this. And of course he's afraid. Because if you've ever watched surfing, sometimes it ends really badly. <laughs> it most certainly could have gone that way. There's no guarantees here. There's no guarantees here. He waited and waited and waited. He saw an opportunity. He was paying attention. He was like, maybe this is it. Maybe it's not it, and I'm deadly wrong, but maybe this is it. But in that moment of what we would call like standing up and riding the wave, three things happened in such a short amount of time. The first thing happened when the king said, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? It says here at the end of verse 4, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Now we're studying this, we're picking this apart, we're diving deep into this, so it's obviously taking us a while. But in the moment, think about how quick that would have happened. The king said, what do you want? Prayed and answered. That happened all within a couple seconds. From the moment the king said, well, what is it that you want? What, what are you asking for? What, what do you want to do about this big problem? Nehemiah, it says here that he prayed. I told you we were going to look at two prayers. Here's the second one. Nehemiah did not have time to pray like he did the first time, did he? That first prayer was long and poetic and all thought out. 
This one was a quick, we don't even have the words that he prayed. He probably didn't exactly have the words. As soon as the king said, what is it that you want? It said that he prayed to the God, prayed to his God, and then he answered. You might have heard this called an arrow prayer. I mean, it is just short, it's quick, it's to the point. It's almost a multitasking prayer. In fact, most of us are very, very good at these. We don't always see them as prayers, but we're very good at these, these quick responses in our heart, whether it's vocal or not, at least in our heart. And, and I'll tell you, if, if you're driving and somebody immediately cuts in front of you and almost runs you off the side of the road, you say something, at least in your mind and heart, very quickly after that, don't you? Yes, might not be very prayerful. Some of it might be very prayerful. <laughs> but the point is we're very good at responding in an instant. That's exactly what Nehemiah does here. He responded in the instant the opportunity came. And it was probably more of a help me not die <laughs> in this opportunity. God, make good on your promise. I hope this is it. Direct me, help me, guide me. Whatever he would have thought, felt, or said, he did it in an instant, a split second. But then he answered. There was no pause. There's no time to drop on your knees and begin to pray. It was a, this is it. Am I taking this opportunity or am I not? He prayed for an opportunity. He had to wait and wait and wait. Four months, about four months, until he was given an opportunity. And even in the moment that he was given the opportunity, there's still a risk involved. He still wasn't 100% sure that this was the opportunity that God laid before him. But he trusted his God. He prayed, and then he answered. And if you know the rest of the story, the king didn't just bless him and send him to rebuild the city. He actually said, well, let me give you some supplies. You want some notes so you can cross all the checkpoints without any issues? He loaded up Nehemiah and sent him out to rebuild the wall, which you can read the rest of the story, but that's exactly what he does. But it began because he prayed, and it happened because he prayed. Two relatively, what we might call simple prayers, but they were prayers of opportunity. Prayers of opportunity. So here's what I want to give you just real quick. I want to give you two prayers of opportunity that we can begin to pray. First one is a pray for opportunity where you are the solution to what is breaking your heart currently. Pray for the opportunity to be a solution, to be part of the answer to whatever is currently breaking your heart. Things break God's heart, and he puts pieces of that in each and every one of us. What my heart breaks for is different than maybe what your heart breaks for or what your heart breaks for. But the point is our heart breaks for something. That's a God-given thing. Those that were standing, our, staff, our, our school staff and our educators, your heart must break for students or else there's no way you would do that for 21 years. <laughs> Retirement plans are not that great in the school system, amen? <laughs> but you do it because what? Your heart breaks. Your heart breaks, so therefore you look for opportunities. What does your heart break for currently? Between you and God, what does your heart break for? And would you be willing to pray for an opportunity to be part of the solution? For Nehemiah, his heart broke for his people. He says, God, give me an opportunity to help. Give me an opportunity to make a difference. Give me an opportunity. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited until he had that opportunity. Second way that we can pray specifically for opportunities is pray for the opportunity to change the world, not just your world. Pray for the opportunity to change the world, not just your world world. When we, when we read Nehemiah's first prayer, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, that wasn't for personal gain. It was not a prayer of success. It was not saying, God, give me success so I'll make it to the top. 
God, give me success and favor so I'll have a name for myself. God, give me success and favor so I have more financial stability. None of that was for personal gain. He was asking for success and favor so he could do something he couldn't do by himself. And so often we get stuck praying for our little world. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to balance it with the big world. I mean, even for me, I get convicted of this often. Go back and and visit your prayer life just over the last seven days. The things that you've been praying for, the ways that you've been praying. Me personally, it's a lot of my family prayers. God, protect us. God, keep us safe. God, please let the pollen go away so we can all sleep without sneezing and coughing. It's those types of prayers, isn't it? They tend to be a little bit more short-term, and they tend to be very focused on my immediate world, me and my stuff, me and my family. Nothing wrong with that, but what about the big picture? Nehemiah prayed for an opportunity to impact an entire city, an entire nation, an entire people group. What if we prayed like that? So yes, pray for your little world, but may we not neglect the world. Pray for opportunities to make a difference and to change the world, not just our own little world. Prayer is powerful, and God answers prayer. It may not always be the answers we want, but God answers our prayers. Even like Nehemiah, if he doesn't come out and says, this is an answer to your prayer, FYI. No, sometimes it's just you see God moving. Or after the fact, you look back at the wave you just rode, and it's like, wow, that, that was totally a God thing. I don't know how all that worked out, and I don't know how I ended up here, but dude, that was totally a God thing. Instead of trying to make your own waves and make everything work, what if we prayed for opportunities and prayed for waves to just ride in? And let's see what God would do with us. Pray for opportunities. Let me go back to what Ephesians 6 said. Verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert. In other words, pay attention. Watch for the waves that God is sending you. Be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So let me give you some very practical ways to do just that, to pray this week. However you have been praying, by all means, keep doing that. Let me add to your prayer life. This isn't a do this instead of that. This is a keep adding and building on your prayer life so that we don't forget it and we don't neglect it. So if you got your worship worship guide or what we call an invite card, you got this when you came in today, on the very back, it says four people, four prayers, or four verses rather, for four weeks. Who are four people you can pray for this entire month? And you'll notice if you write their names down in there, and you'll keep this, you're not going to give this one to me, you'll see at the bottom four specific verses you can begin to pray for those specific individuals over the next four weeks. Pray for opportunities. Now you need to know, this is not a fix-it prayer. God, I'm going to write down the four people in my life you need to fix. You need to have a talking with these four people. (laughs) I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and they're going to be a totally new person. More life change, woo! (laughs) Not the way God intended it to work. Instead, what if our prayer was, God, give me an opportunity to come alongside them. God, give me an opportunity to speak truth and encouragement into their life. God, give me the strength to have a tough conversation with that person. God, give me some empathy so I have the opportunity to put myself in their shoes. God, start with me so I may have an opportunity to help them. We're not praying for him to put the puzzle together all by himself. We're praying that we have an opportunity with others to come alongside and do something great because of our prayers. Last thing I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do, remember you gave me your first name or initial or at least a name. Uh, When you walk out of the auditorium this morning, this afternoon, if you look to the right, it's where all of our life change stories uh, are, the My Life Change wall. We've taken all those post-it notes and we've put them all on those cards. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. When you leave today, take one off. 
preferably not your name. Right? What Ephesians says, pray for all of God's people. So when you walk out today, grab one of those. Or if you want to grab a couple of them, that's fine. Grab at least a name and put it in your car, put it on your mirror at home, put it someplace, and would you be willing to commit for the next seven days to pray for that person's name that you picked off? Because how amazing if God's people actually did what God's word said. And we said, we are going to pray for every single person here. We're going to pray for one another. That's what the body part, that's church. So far, you've just been listening to me and Sean and the team do a bunch of stuff. Church begins when we start actually living this out. So grab a name off the wall, and may we live out what Ephesians 6 says and, and begin to follow Nehemiah's model for prayer, that we pray for opportunities and we pray for every single person. And know this week, no matter what mess your life is in, the pieces that are all scattered, you'll have somebody praying for you specifically this week. And they may not know your situation and they might not know the problems, but they're gonna be praying for opportunities for God to do something great in your life. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for the connection we have with you through prayer. That we're not just talking to the ceiling or the walls, but we are talking to the God of heaven, or as Nehemiah calls you, awesome. That's exactly who and what you are. And God, we struggle in this life. That's no secret. We, we don't know how to walk this thing through without you. So we're not asking you to just fix it. We're not relying on you to just be our our handyman we call in emergencies. No, we are saying, God, give us opportunities to grow, to develop, to become more like you, to impact more than just our own little world, but the world around us. Not just the people in our own life, but the people that we may never meet, to be seed planters and may never even see the fruit. But God, give us opportunities to do something you're calling us to do. Help us to be aware of what breaks our heart, what breaks your heart. Help us to see like you see, hear like you hear, feel like you feel. What hurts you, may it hurt us, so that we pray for an opportunity to make a change. God, thank you for the dialogue that we get to have with you. Thank you that you answer every single one of our prayers, even if it's not the answer we're expecting. God, may we have an opportunity, give us success and favor amongst the people, so that we can do something that you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.